We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, John, let's move into some of these questions because we have a lot of them. I think we yep. just got a super chat. So let's get the super chat first. Super chat from <clears throat> Kiko Galante. Is that, is that Lilo? That like? Oh, is that Lilo. Lilo? Oh, it's Lilo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lilo. Lilo Galante. Thank you for the super chat. It says, You guys think Notre Dame will start building a relationship with Bryce Underwood, five star quarterback out of Belleville, Michigan, and five star. Losi Epinesa, who I know is the younger brother of AJ Epinesa that played in mm-hmm. Iowa, defensive lineman out of Illinois. I know he's a very highly rated player in the 2025 class as well, Sean. So, uh, Lilo, I, I will uh, say this about the Bryce Underwood thing. Notre Dame offered Bryce very early, right? And I think that they will definitely make a run at it. I think it's going to be a hard pull to be completely transparent. But I think that right now the Notre Dame, you know, the who's the future coach of the quarterbacks, right, is a little bit a very important layer to this conversation right now. So mm-hmm. once Notre Dame figures out their offensive coordinator higher and who's going to be leading the quarterback pack, I do think that they'll start building relationships with guys like Bryce Underwood. He's not the only player in the class. I mean, there's a lot of talented 2025 quarterbacks right now. I mean, just looking at the list. Notre Dame has already offered Bryce Underwood. They've offered Ryan Montgomery, who's the younger brother of Luke Montgomery, going to Ohio State. They've offered also offered Antoine Hill out of the state of Georgia. So they've offered a couple of quarterbacks in the class. So I do anticipate them making you know a run at Bryce Underwood. Do I think that they'll necessarily land Bryce? I wouldn't like put that in a betting favorite for Notre Dame, but I think they'll do their due diligence once the quarterback and offensive coordinator positions have been filled. So. Because you already have 2023 quarterbacks obviously done. 2024 quarterback, you already have C.J. Carr in the class, so that's done. We'll see about what the next step is for 2025 because that's going to be the main attention of the quarterback position. Sean Epinesa, he hasn't been offered by Notre Dame, so I, I don't know if they have I can see. I can, I can see him. I, if I could bet, he would be at junior day this year. He would be at the junior day. Because that's that's how it goes. The Illinois kids, they they want to see him. Whether it was like uh, Christian 
Bennett Core, um, Parker Starts from Montcarmel, a linebacker. Yeah. He was there. Uh, Darian Dupree. Like anybody that's local in the Chicago area, they want to get them on campus so they can lay their eyes on them and watch them. So I would I would expect Los to actually be at the at the junior day, the Irish invasion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So we will take a look at the younger Epinesa if he develops a relationship for Notre Dame. Again, right now does not have an offer, but we shall see if that is someone that they get on. Sean, we had a question from Salty Virginia Peanuts that just said, how is that haircut working for you, Sean? Feeling good? Um, I'm a low haircut dude, and I'm kind of weird in the way that I grow my hair out normally during the summer and, okay. cut, it, and cut it during the winter. But I, I decided to go back to the norm and grow it out for the winter this time. My wife likes it. She likes me with hair. But I hate having to maintain it. I've been so used to just waking up and just grabbing a brush for about 15 seconds and being on my way. Yeah. I have to condition this stuff. And then I have to. Because I don't use chemicals. So I use like, I don't know. Well, you know, Ryan, they have this thing that you, a sponge. Mm-hmm. that you put on top of your hair that gives it the curly look. Oh, nice. So you're not using all of the chemicals to curl it up and stuff. Keep it kind of natural and healthy. But you still have to be able to condition it and keep it looking nice and poofy. And It's, it's, it's a lot of extra work, Ryan. I, you know, sometimes I just, one day I'm going to get tired of it and just tell my barber to cut it all off again. Cut it all off. <laughs> That's yeah. what I do, man. I'm just like, cut it as short as you can just so I don't have to mess with it almost. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go like buzz cut, right? But like, you know, I get the close fade on the side so I don't have to mess with it as much, yeah. you know? Like, that's just my thing, so. I, I don't, I, I don't know if I, um, I don't know if I'll make it to Pro Day. Why? 
Another month? <laughs> I don't know, Ryan. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> and I disagree. Someone said that's not a, a, a Marcus Freeman fan. I disagree. I'll put my barber up against Julio any day. I've actually told Julio this. Julio's cut my hair. Well, I've actually had Marcus Freeman's barber cut my hair. I told him to his face, like, yo, my barber can cut just as good as you. So. Love it. Love it. <laughs> this, Sean, so people thought they were coming for football. They're going to leave with some grooming tips, man, which I love, which I love. It's fantastic. Man, fantastic content. take care of your hair. Take care yeah. of your hair. I'd just like to also respond to this where Salty just said, I'm pretty sure you sported a mullet back in the day. I did not. No, Salty, I never did. Okay. This was the extent of, uh, no, nope. Was never, uh, was never party, party, party in the, in the back, man. Never, never. I saw some dude. I'm sorry. Somebody made a, uh, coming to America reference in the chat. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's wild, man. They get, they get a little bit unruly when we get into the mailbag from Domer Grizz. Happy Friday, IB. Do you expect the transfer end from Ohio State to be the starter, a battle there in the spring and fall? or an even rotation. So, I mean, first of all, we're talking about Javante Jean-Baptiste, who is the mm-hmm. transfer defensive end from Ohio State. We've talked a lot about this, Domer Grizz. So, I think originally the thought was like, you know, oh, it looks like they're bringing in a Viper, but like their mm-hmm. init- their thought process is they want Jean-Baptiste to play the big end position, and that's going to allow, that's going to allow Riley Mills to move inside more permanently. So I do think that he has a very good chance to be the starter, but I don't think he's just going to be like 100% of the snap. Like nobody does that, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think he's going to get a pretty high volume of snaps at the big end position, and then you're going to have Nana Osafa Mensa and guys like yeah. that kind of rotate. Maybe Alexander Ahrensberger. Like you're going to see more of that, in my opinion, Sean. I agree. Um, depth. I think yeah. that's the way they're going to come at it, right, in waves. Now, they don't have the dominant – pass rusher so they're just going to come at you in waves give guys 20 snaps 30 snaps and keep them fresh so everybody's fresh late third quarter fourth quarter and just try to come at you come at you with numbers man along that defensive line and if someone comes away with a nine ten sacks then hey it's a great year yeah, man, they need they need that group to be productive, but it doesn't have to be one guy. To your point, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. like you need no not guys like Nana to contribute for what they have and absolutely that stuff. So let's go to Michael Collins. He said, with Reese and Gus Rag, Tommy Reese and Gus Ragland gone, who's currently working with quarterbacks? Ron Paulus, uh Senior. Speaking of which, is the floor Parker as offensive coordinator, and Palace gets back into coaching quarterbacks since he's all. all- He's also already on staff. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so, Sean, so there's not as much hands-on stuff right now, right? The, the So how it works in, this, in the winter where we are now is basically this is more of like the workout regimen, right? This is Matt Bayless's time. Like the coaches are obviously involved to a degree, right? But it's not yeah. like they're it's not like they're working their quarterback, you know, stuff every single time, right? But they still have a good support class, uh, support staff around them. For quarterbacks, so like you know, they'll be able to support them as they will. But it's not as it's it's not like we're in spring ball right now, where like you need a guy regimenting them through 
every single drill through the yeah. process, through the reads, all that type of stuff. So, Michael, it, it's not really as much hands-on right now. This is more about like building your body up and getting that conditioning going and do all of that type of stuff. So I think that, you know, it's it's not really a big thing, but obviously spring's coming soon. So you need to get that ball rolling a little bit, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of where we are right now. Is the floor Parker's offensive coordinator and Paulus getting back into coaching quarterback since he's all – also already on staff. Well, I would say this, man. If Jared Parker is the offensive coordinator, ultimately, I think that Notre Dame will go out and find an offensive court, uh, find a quarterback coach because they would still have a position open on the staff, obviously. So if you're filling the offensive coordinator position with a already pre-existing staff member, I think they're going to go out and get an offensive court, uh, get a quarterback coach. I don't think the quarterback coach for Notre Dame in 2023 is currently on the staff for Notre Dame. So I think that there's going to be an outside quarterback coach coming in if Jared Parker is the guy, and maybe there's a co-offensive coordinator thing. Like we'll see what happens with that, but yeah, I I just yeah I don't think that it's just going to be settling on the guys that are already in the building. There's going to be an outside perspective, I think, in some regard. But great question, Michael. Thank you. We're going to go now to Brent Smith, who says the 2023 recruiting class appears to be loaded with injuries. A Don Schuler. Drake Bowen, Bubakar Traore, Rico Flores, our cornerback opposite Christian Gray. Perhaps this is why they took such a precipitous drop in the rankings. I I mean, some some context here, right? Don Schuller had a a shoulder injury that was pre-existing, but it didn't cost him any time during the season, right? So it wasn't like he missed a bunch of games and that caused a drop, right? Like, the drop for Adon Schuler, I believe, is because he's just a little bit of an underrated football player because he's not incredibly flashy. He's just a really good football player. The Drake Bowen injury also did not cost him any time. I mean, he was, again, he was Mr. Football in the state of Indiana, and he was still able to play in the All-American Bowl in, in, down in San Antonio. So it's not like he missed any time. So, that didn't, again, it, it didn't cost him any games, and it didn't cost him any production. Drake Bowen had his finest season by far. Bobakai Traore only played two football games this year. So that one, I would say, yeah, that probably has something to do with it, right? The fact that you only played a handful of games. Rico Flores, again, Brent, could it hurt him in an because he wasn't able to play in the last game of the season and the San Antonio All-Star game, the All-American Bowl? Could that hurt his ranking at the end of the season? It could, but Rico Flores' drop was starting while he was balling out for Folsom this year. I mean, he still had over a thousand yards receiving in like 11 football games, whatever the heck he ended up playing. Right. So I, I, I wouldn't attribute that to the drop for Rico Flores. Rico was having a great season. And he missed ultimately two football games when we're really thinking about it. So it wasn't like he missed a bulk of the season, majority of the season. And then the last part, our cornerback opposite Christian gray. Are we talking about Micah bell? Cause Micah bell didn't miss any time this year. I, I don't know what that one means. So if you want to drop it in Brent's, in the chat on uh, what you mean by that. But Micah was playing all season. He ran for over a thousand yards. He started at safety for Kincaid school. And he was also down at the old American bowl in San Antonio. So I would say that out of all those guys, Bubba Cartriori is the only guy that I would say, you know, yeah, maybe that's a part of it, but I think there's some other factors that we've talked about a ton, but yeah. All right. Let us go now to Brandon Plesner, who has a question. 
Thank you, Brandon, for the question. Can Notre Dame just get one elite safety to cycle, someone like a Ty Singleton or DeMello or Ricardo Jones, then add two more solid guys like Bronte Johnson, Kingston Lopa, DeWan Lane, uh, Davis Andrews, Kennedy Erlacher, and or Jalen McClain? So, I mean, Brandon, trying to think of the best way to put this. So, I don't think that the staff's perception is that a couple of those guys that you have in the solid list are just solid football players. I think a couple of those guys are clear takes for Notre Dame if they wanted to come. Just kind of start the conversation. Ty Single, uh, Tylen Singleton, who's out of Louisiana, he's being recruited more in the rover role. So he's more of a second level guy. So he's not really in the safety conversation for the staffs. So if they landed with him, he would technically count as a linebacker for Notre Dame, right? I believe that if you get a DeMello Jones or a Ricardo Jones, and you get a to pair that with a Bronte Johnson and somebody else in that list, yeah, that would be a great list. I mean, if you honestly, if you got a group of safeties this year that was DeMello Jones and then Bronte Johnson and Jalen McLean, for instance, that is a home run safety class, in my opinion. That's home run. I think that that is a fantastic safety group. So would that be, yeah, that would be one of the better safety groups I think that Notre Dame's gotten in a few time. I mean, a little bit of time, man. I mean, yeah. So I think that that would be a very ideal situation if that happens. And I, But I just wanted to say again, like, I don't think that the staff views Bronte Johnson as like just a solid player, you know, just to my point, right? I, And I mean, we don't know. Kingston Lopa just got offered. We'll see what that one. Andrews just got offered or Lacker just got offered. But again, like they're, they're prioritizing Jalen McClain. They are prioritizing, excuse me, the Juan Lane. So I think that they view those guys as a little bit more than just solid football players, right? So it's kind of where we're at on that one. Great question, though, Brandon, as always. Appreciate you. Going to go to FR David Penny, mailbag. There seems to be a lot of offers out to defensive line players right now. Is this a reflection of where the staff believes they are with players already on the board or just due diligence? So this is obviously talking about guys that have been offered. I'm going to pull up the offer list real quick. So there have been a lot of defensive linemen that have been offered, David, to your points, right? So you talk about guys, and I'm pulling them up right now, all of the names, because there have been a lot of guys. So like Malachi Williams out of Pennsylvania just got offered. Cole Mullins got offered a couple weeks ago out of the state of Georgia. You've had Kellen Lindstrom offered pretty recently out of Missouri. You've also gotten Joseph Jonah Ajanje out of Texas that was offered as well. And then they just offered Cameron Clark last night out of the state of Tennessee. So I'll put it like this, man. I'll put it like this. Do I have some worries about where Notre Dame is as far as defensive line recruiting. I do. I do. And it mostly has some, it mostly has to do with the, the, just the lack of impact that we've seen from the defensive line coach on recruiting, right? And, and the misses that he had in 2023. I do think, though, and this is just my opinion, Notre Dame is in a good spot with several very good defensive linemen, in my opinion, in this class. I mean, we've talked about the, Smith twins, they have a they have a commitment from Owen Wayful. They're still in a good spot with Justin Scott. I think they're in a good spot with Bryce Young, a very good spot with Bryce Young. I think they're in a good spot with TJ Lindsay if that if that timeline matches up. So I don't think the expansion of the board has really anything to do with them 
feeling like they're missing out on guys or missing on guys. I think it's more, Sean, for me, there are adding really talented players on the board and they're doing their due diligence. I do think that, right? And I understand it again because we're talking about we have some concerns over defensive line recruiting. So my impulse would honestly be, and David, I 100% agree on this, right? Why didn't we see this eye to eye? Is that my initial thought from an outside perspective would be, I have concerns about the defensive line recruiting and they're adding a bunch of offers to the board. They must be striking out. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think they're in a good spot with several guys that could make up the class. I just think it's more that they like Malachi Williams, right? Like they, they think that he has really impressive film and he has upside. They like these types of guys that they're able to identify and take a look at like Cameron Clark, for instance. Right. So I think it's just more due diligence, Sean. I don't know if you agree with that, but I, I don't think it's a, I honestly don't think it's just a, wow, we're striking out on a bunch of defensive line. We've got to keep adding guys to the board. I think that they're just, identifying other talented players in my opinion right now i'm glad they uh, i was just saying i'm glad they identified malachi williams i know that yeah i like his film as a 25 kid here in chicago that i expect to be at the irish invasion that ended he's in the same conference same conference as justin scott guess who was the player of the year it was that kid so he (laughs) i they're ex- they're definitely expanding their board because that kid is on the 25 board. Look, I took a step back and I said, you know what? Let me give opportunity. Because, you know, I talked about it this week just a little bit. First year is, is, was pretty awkward, to say the least, at Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman for a lot of different reasons. And then that awkwardness, there were certain things that don't need to be said that I think Coach Washington had to deal with. And in doing so, I, I thought he handled himself okay. And you see guys like Gabriel Rubio come on, which I have high expectations for Gabriel Rubio next year. I think Jacob Lacey and Howard Cross. We're playing some really good football. Now, I don't know how much of that I would attribute to Al Washington since they, they've been here under Mike Elson. But I thought they were playing really good football, both of them. And then Lacey, you know, decides to transfer, which is an entirely different issue. My point being is that at this point, while most people have kind of formed a concise opinion, I still think there's a lot to be answer when it comes to the defensive line from a recruiting standpoint and from a coaching standpoint. And can that be answered or can some of those questions be answered over this spring and summer and into the fall? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. And, you know, us seeing the board expand is not so much I don't want. I guess some people feel like expanding the talent on the board means that that they don't sit in a good place with certain guys. And like you said, I don't. I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's something that it was needed in my position. In my opinion, mm-hmm. if there's one position that needs to go after a large pool of talent, 
it's a defensive line. Especially if you're trying to upgrade in that particular area, right? Because that position is so it's everyone in college football knows that you need to recruit that position at a really high level to win. Everyone knows that. And so I think they're enlarging their board to be able to do that and to combat what everyone else in the nation is doing. That's just my opinion. You know, I think it's one of the most difficult positions to recruit, especially because the majority of the impact players come from the South at that position. They do. And, and that's tough being a Midwest school. You know, maybe you find a David Papalier, you know, coming from the East Coast, or you get another kid coming from California, or you go and find another kid in Arizona, another area. But the majority, let's be honest, the majority of the impactful kids along the defensive line are going to come from the South, Southeast. And, and that's the battle. So, yes, you have to go to Connecticut you know, to find the Smith twins. And you have to go to different areas to find guys to supplement what you're looking for. So, and this is really the first full recruiting cycle for this staff. They didn't have a full recruiting cycle for 23. Heck, they just got put together in like late February, March. This is their first from from all season last year to Irish Invasion all the way up to now is the first full cycle for them. So yep. I'm I'm going to judge defensive line recruiting starting now. The scrut my real scrutiny is going to start now. Are there certain things I can look at 23 and say, uh, of course. But now this is when the real the real scrutiny for me starts because I think that, <laughs> You know, I, I, I hear it in my head, even though you to yourself, front door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man. But yeah, I don't think it means anything negative at all. I, I'm happy that he's putting in work. I'm absolutely ecstatic that Al Washington is putting in work and identifying talented players. Yeah. I mean, the Malachi Williams kid's really interesting, isn't he, Sean, out of Philly? He's no. a really talented player, man. He's funny. He's long. When you, with all the things you said about Philly schools, <laughs> when I mentioned his name, I thought about the fact that he's from Philly. But, yep. yo, like you can't tell me that you watch his film and then you're mad because they added him to the board. Like, I, don't, right. I don't care. E- e- even the um, even the, the kid that they just offered last night, Cameron Clark out of Tennessee, Sean, that, yeah. kid, that kid's talented, man. Yeah. He's really talented. And I saw Absolutely. someone who was like, his offer list isn't great. I'm like, you understand that he's gotten 16 offers since January, right? Literally, he didn't have any offers until January. Now he's got 16. I'm like, that kid's going to have like 40 offers before it's all said and done, man. It's just a little bit of a late riser. Like, we give some guy. Some guys don't develop the same, man. All I know is that kid is 6'5", 225, and explosive. I'm yes, like, sir. I, c- I could work with that. I yes, could work sir. With that. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> yeah. right, when you project and you see a kid – at that size, you project him to come off the edge at like what two forty, two fifty. Like people have seen photos of Josh Burnham, and they're like, yeah. "Whoa!" Yes. You know, Sean. I I saw him. I forget if it was at the Navy game or if it was at the Syracuse game. 
I, I saw Joshua Burnham just warming up, and I'm like, holy smokes, man. Wow, he got big in a hurry. Right. He's really filling out his frame, man. He did. So, yeah, people are starting to see it now in the in the winter. It's like I, I saw that like two months ago. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. All right, Josh. All right, kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We, we had someone that I just wanted to hit this one real quick, Sean. Just that Ryan Hennis said, isn't Hartman speaking right now? No, Ryan, he's not. So – the media availability was for defensive newcomers today. It was originally going to be everybody, but with the offensive coordinator conversation that's happening right now, they wanted to leave the offensive newcomers out of that. So the defensive recruits um, in 2023 that are early enrollees and then the transfer players, the Javante John baptiste Thomas Harper, uh, and those guys, they'll be the ones that are available today. And that's smart. That's yes, smart. I, I think it's very that's smart. smart. Because you, yeah. would, you could say – you could sit out a memo – to all of the media and say, look, we're going to stay away from these questions. And they will still try to find a way to ask the questions just because that's what they do. Yep. That's what they do. hundred percent, hundred percent. So let us go now to this question from Tyler Eric. I think is how you pronounce that name. Tyler, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, your last name, please just put in the message of pronunciation. I really appreciate that. So do you want Jeremiah Love to play enough and get red shirt this season or do you believe he won't be here long enough for it to matter? This is a very nuanced conversation, Sean, because I would <laughs> love to save the year of eligibility. I would. Right. But I don't think that Jeremiah Love is a five-year guy. I don't. I think he's a four-year player because, one, he's an incredible student. I think he's going to be one of those kids that graduates in like three, three and a half years, whatever. But I think that he's a four-year player at most. And he's a running back, right? So I think I feel like running backs you have to have in your back of your mind like – are they going to stay five years? Probably not. That's not usually a trend that running backs take. So I would be preparing Tyler. If there was a way that I can share my love in, involved in special teams as a returner, for instance, mm-hmm. I would do it personally. Cause I, I just don't think he's a five-year guy, Sean. I just really don't. Oh, heck no. You have to get him involved, right? This is the interesting thing with this new, I think this is why this is a plum job. In my opinion, like you, uh, look, there are going to be certain conversations with guys, interviews. I understand someone wanting to have continuity in their staff and trust in their staff and possibly wanting to bring people with them to Notre Dame. That's fine and dandy. You know, and if that ends up being, you know, a little bit of an issue for certain guys, and so be it. But at the end of the day, this is a plum job. You're walking into a situation where you might not have Michael Mayer but you have a lot of diversity in the weapons that you do have in the backfield, at tight end, and also at wide receiver. One thing you won't have to teach is run blocking at every position. So that's that's been a focus. Period. The wide receivers can block. If there's one thing the wide receivers can do, they can block. That has always been a focus for wide receivers at Notre Dame. Now, I think especially with the new class of wide receivers coming in, there's so many diverse things you can do with this wide receiver room. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things going back and watching the games from last year, which is something we've done a Lucky Lefty podcast to project to 2023, they really believe in Lorenzo Styles, bro. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I was kind of like, man, like he got that many targets and, uh, versus Marshall? He got that many targets versus Kyle? And it's like, even when he was struggling, they kept trying to get him going because they believe 
he needs to be able to play at a high level for the offense to be successful. And so when you see that they have that belief, it gives you confidence in 2023, especially with the quarterback position being elevated, you know, to have good vibes, not only with him, but the rest of the wide receivers. So Jeremiah Love, it should be easy to get him into the game. He's a talented player. And if you're a smart individual as an offensive coordinator, you'll find a way. I don't care if it's 10 snaps a game. Yeah. You'll find a way. And injuries are going to happen at some point. You'll find a way. That's simple. Find a way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's he, your job. He, he would just at least be involved in special teams for me, Sean. Because again, like, I just. Is he going to be around for five years? I, I I just don't think so, man. Like, that's is the end of the world to me. Four? I mean, it depends if he get when he when he gets starting a, a workload. You're not wrong. I mean, could he be a kid that as a sophomore explodes because two running backs are gone and then he's the guy or he's one of the top two guys? Like, it's possible. It is possible. You're right. Well, you an example, right? We expect that it is a plausible expectation that both running backs could be in the draft next year. It's possible. It's possible. Right? And one didn't even play his freshman year. It's wild. And the other one played due to injury. Well, it was, pro- it was probably a mistake that Audrick Esme didn't play a little bit as a freshman, though. <laughs> well, you know? he played 12 games because he played special teams, though, right? But yeah. I mean, like, as a ball carrier that he didn't yeah. play more. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's more about the trend of the position as it relates to the NFL. I think Kyron Williams showed you, look, I've already had a heavy workload at Notre Dame. I don't want to put any because when I get to the NFL, yo, know, I don't know what my exit number for workload is for things right. start to decline, but I want to make sure I get there quicker, you know, so I can have more time. And it's the same thing. I think both running backs this year will look at it the same way. And they have Dylan McCullough there who's going to be very honest with them about that very thing. Like yeah. he played the position, he's coached the position. Like, yo, he's been on the NFL level. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, you, yeah. what else do you guys have to prove on this level? Sure. What? Like, go do you think? Save the tread, save the tread yeah. on the tires. Like, yeah, especially because they're they're both bigger backs too, right? So, like, tread matters for bigger guys, especially because those guys are the ones that usually break down a little quicker. So, yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Great question, though, Tyler. Moving on to Anthony Solomon, he says, do you think adding Justin Scott, of course, as a defensive tackle out of St. Ignatius in Chicago, Illinois, on defense could have the same effect as landing CJ on the offense in regard to adding top-tier players? Could he be the gatekeeper for adding some top defensive talent? Yeah, I think so, Anthony. Is it the same as CJ Carr, though? I would say probably not. Just because, I mean, five-star quarterback, Sean, right? Like, that, that is, that's a magnitude that really can't even be Hits totally different. It hits yeah. totally different. It hits totally yeah. different. Um, so I mean, but does but does Justin Scott being in the class ignite excitement for some defensive recruits? Yeah, one billion percent. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no doubt about that. Yeah. But is it the same as a five star quarterback? No, it's not. It's not. Yeah. So will he help? Hundred percent if he picks Notre Dame. Hundred percent. Will it be as big as CJ Carr? No, I don't think so. Not quite to that magnitude because. CJ's a quarterback at the end of the day. 
All right. We had a question here from Michael Johnson who said, which of the offensive coordinator uh, candidates has a better track record in development of quarterbacks and which offensive coordinator talent has a better offensive strategy of getting the backs and receivers more touches. So Sean quarterback development, is there a guy that you look at and say, that's my guy as far as who would develop best? More hit. Yeah, Moorhead, if, if he's a serious Moore, candidate, I, I think that Joe Moorhead's a good one. Yeah, uh, Joe Moorhead would be one. Yeah, um, I'm very intrigued. The more because I had to do I had to do my research, but the more, and I don't know how real the Lewis connection is, but with him being a Chicago guy, and I started reaching out, and I'm like hearing a lot of really good things about him. Yeah. as far as his development, look. I know he, as far as quarterback development, you know, Colin Klein and what was reported this morning, he looked, yeah. what he did with the two quarterbacks he had this year. Fantastic. And man. And Andy, I mean, Andy Ludwig. I think Cam Rising, I would say Cam Rising isn't exactly the, Cam Rising might be on the same level as like Ian Book. Like maybe even, because they both do the same thing. Like the smallest guys, he's a little bit stockier than Ian Book. But, oh, man, if you go down the list of quarterbacks that Andy Ludwig has had, well, maybe. I, I mean, Sean, because I think it's a – so the thing about Andy Ludwig and Sean Lewis, to your point, yeah. is that they've developed quarterbacks, but they haven't had the most talent at quarterback, right? But like exactly. they've gotten the most, most out, of, out of the talent. Tyler Huntley yeah. out of Cameron Rising. If you're looking at the Utah, Shoot. I mean, even what, what was, what was the right. what was the quarterback from Wisconsin's name that Ludwig had? The uh, tall, tall kid. Um, Stocko. Joel Stave. Joel Stave. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not very good, man. I mean, no. but like he had some production under Ludwig, though. Where yeah. it was like, oh, okay, that's not too bad. Sean Lewis got a lot out of Dustin Crum over the last couple of years, a lot out of him. Yeah. So I think they've taken not incredibly talented quarterbacks and made them better, a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. I think Moorhead's done a little bit of that too. But like, as far as guys that are like serious candidates potentially, I mean, we're still working through a few names. Obviously, I think Ludwig has done a really good job in that department. I think that Sean Lewis has done some good stuff with limited talent that he's had at the quarterback position. Yeah. For the second part of that, and which offensive coordinators have has a better offensive strategy of getting the backs and receivers more touches? I would say for me, depends which type of wide receiver I'm trying to get the football, right? Mm. Sean Lewis has done a great job of getting outside receivers the football. I mean, I think about Dante Cephas. I Dante think about Cephas. the Walker kid that transferred yeah. to North Carolina. But one player that – Andy Ludwig did really well at wide receiver over the last couple of years is Britton Covey. That's now on the field of Eagles, who was a slot receiver, right? Mm-hmm. He is much better with working the inside per- passing game, right? With the tight ends, with the slot yeah. receivers. Sean Lewis is more of a spread quarterback. So he's trying to uh, spread coach, excuse me. So he's trying to get the ball to the perimeter a lot more Yeah. for backs. I think both of them get a lot out of backs. I mean, Utah has done a lot of good work with some very average backs in my opinion, Kent State has been a team that has run the football at a high clip over the last couple of years with some marginal talent at, at, in the backfield. So I yeah. think both of those guys honestly have done a pretty good job of getting the most out of the players they have to work with, in my opinion. 
You know what it says to me? And this is one thing that you didn't know. I think Ryan put up an article on IB yesterday mm-hmm. uh, talking about this. Because we wondered, like, yo, you know, what are going to be the top things that Marcus Freeman is going to be looking for in the next candidate? And I think immediately you think about 2024 and beyond. Like, I don't even think the interview process is about 2023. It is, but it's really not, right? Because if quarterback development is important, that's not about Sam Harton. (laughs) That's that's about Tyler. That's about Kenny Minchie. And that's about C.J. Carr. Like, that's, look, we, we feel like we have a quarterback already. He's good. Like, get him acclimated, get him ready to go in the system but it's the other guys like we need a guy that's able to develop the incoming and what we have and so i think that's at the top of the list i think brian did a great job of putting that in the article yesterday that he posted on ib and it told me a lot about okay now i get a sense of a direction of how marcus freeman is really approaching this hire because it's not about just this year this is about a five-year like what's your plan over the next five years you know because that's what you hear like in any type of interview like how do you see yourself in this position over the next two to three years i think that's something he wants somebody that wants to be there have some stability at least for the next two years and he wants somebody that can develop quarterbacks and then from there i'm sure he has a lot of other questions but i think it's 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 being shown that he's looking at the future very much with whomever he hires at the quarterback situation. I So, look, this is my thing. I think the serious candidates are all resourceful, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I think they all will find a way to get the ball to the backs and the receivers. Like, that's – look, when you're resourceful and you come from – you know how it is. I don't know about you, right? Mm-hmm. My grandmother didn't have as much as as my parents, right? So, you know, my mother went grocery shopping. She got all of the different types of brand names, right? My cereal was Kellogg's. You know, my peanut butter was Jiffy, right? <laughs> and I go to my grandmother's house, and it's like no-name products, but the food is just as good. And I saw a lot of these candidates coming from like no name situations where the talent or the ingredients are not as good. And now they step on the Notre Dame's landscape where now they're working with real big time brands, big time talent. If they could cook a good meal with that, what do you think they're about to do (laughs) with the talent? And so that encourages me on all of the candidates, the serious candidates that have either interviewed or even being vetted is that the vast majority of them are very resourceful. So the yep. last thing we have to worry about is whether or not they can get the ball to the right individuals. Sean, I, I keep saying it, man, but I selfishly want to see Andy Ludwig with Notre Dame oh, talents. Absolutely. I want to see it. Absolutely. We all have our favorites and our preferences. Don't get that twisted. Don't get that twisted. You know, yep. but I, I am, 
I've I have not looked at the list of people and said, ugh. Like I hate I'm, that guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. might have looked at someone and said, uh, well, I'm okay with that. I don't love it, but I'm okay. But I haven't said, ugh. And that for me is like, okay. That that lets me know that they are identified, the identification process was a solid process and now the vetting process. And I think, like I said, by next Tuesday, I, I fully expect somebody's going to come to the forefront if they haven't already. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this, everybody, and this even includes Colin Klein, who's not in the conversation anymore, obviously, but with the port, I really haven't seen a name that I haven't been like kind of juiced a little bit about. Right, Sean. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about the Sean Lewis stuff and it's like, is he a great fit with what Notre Dame wants to do offensively? I think we can have a conversation, but like, still a really smart dude though. And he's still a good offensive guy. Like it's not like they're, you know, it's not like he's a bad offensive coordinator. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. you know why Sean Lewis immediately intrigued me mm-hmm. to do what he's doing. He wants to be here. Sure. That's the vibe sure. I get. Yeah. That's somebody that wants to be at Notre Dame. He wants to be at Notre Dame. He grew up knowing what Notre Dame is in the Chicago land air like there's no questions with him he wants to be there right I don't think if everything else fits I don't think you'll get a situation where you know he says "Uh, no I think I'm gonna go back to where I am that's it that is that's you know getting the backs and receivers involved the more touches won't be a problem it is a problem but it's not a problem you know why? Sure, you, you know, know you know why you know it's a problem. We're not yeah, used what? to having we're not used to having this much talent in those two rooms. So now you know we got five, six backs and like 10, 11 wide receivers, and now we feel like everybody has to get touches. That's not the way it goes in college football, man. <laughs> Somebody's going to get left out. <laughs> like one or two of those running backs. You know, it might be Jabron Payne. It might be somebody else. Somebody's going to be standing on the sideline, either playing special teams or having to find a way to get involved another way. Like, that's just the way it is, man. Sean, we talked about that, man. There is a possibility that in 2023, your sixth string running back or fifth and sixth string running backs are Jeremiah Love and Jabron Payne. And Jabron Payne. That's that's bananas. And that's bananas. But. That is elite college football. That's that's what it is. Players either wait their turn, knowing that when they get their turn, they're going to be productive, mm-hmm. or they have the transfer portal. Right nowadays, and it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yep. But to your point, Sean, a lot of talent on this team, man. A lot of talent. We're going to hit through a couple more of these. This will be a little bit more quick hitting. That was a great conversation, by the way. Jason Smith just says, do we know if Notre Dame is only offering Mike Matthews safety out of Georgia at safety, or are they telling him they like him there? But we'll get a serious look at both safety and wide receiver. So, Jason, actually the conversation is, is that Mike Matthews wants to play wide receiver, and Notre Dame is open to him playing wide receiver. So, that's kind of where it is right now. They they love him as an athlete, right? So they're going to try to get him. But 
he wants to play safety. Notre Dame is open to him playing safety right now. Then we had a question from Nathan Hill that just had a question about where do things stand with Notre Dame and Bredell Richardson, who is the wide receiver out of Carrollwood Day High School in Florida. So, Nathan, we talked about this one, I think, a little bit on the Monday show. I can't remember. I think it was in a mailbag. But we also talked at Borders at IrishBreakdown.com about Bredell recently because I wrote an article about the wide receiver group in 2024. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I think it is, right? Bredell, I think, really likes Notre Dame. And from everything I've told that where everything I am told, he is a hundred percent a Notre Dame fit. Like there is no doubt about that. He's a really smart kid, really loves academics, like all that great stuff, right? He fits Notre Dame. Th- there's some pause that I have without with Bredell Richardson as a Notre Dame and ultimately ending up with Notre Dame. I don't know what it is a hundred percent, because I've heard but nothing but great things. I just am not a hundred percent as confident with him as some people are right there. But on that message board post, Brian Smith, who lives down in Florida, who knows Burdell Richardson very well, ha- is keeps assuring me that, like, I think Notre Dame has a legit chance here. I think they have a legit chance here. So I think getting him on campus again is going to be big. He's been on campus before at Notre Dame, but I think getting him back would be paramount. I know he posts a lot about Notre Dame on social media, but, like, again, social media stuff I don't really buy into as much. But I do think that he is a key target in the wide receiver group for Notre Dame in 2024, and we'll see what works out. I'm just not as confident, I think, as some people are with that one, but we shall see. Yeah. Sean, interesting conversation here from Carl Bremer. Since we're talking cornerbacks today, who is the best cornerback of all time, Daryl Revis or Deion Sanders, Sean? Who's the best cornerback of all time? You can open it to somebody else besides those two, by the way. Oh, first of all, Darrell Revis. I don't know if you had an opportunity. I did. Uh, the Hall of Fame video? Talk about the Hall of Fame video? No, no, no. No, okay. Chad Johnson sat down with uh, Shannon Sharp, and he talked about that run. I forget the year it was, but it was this run of like seven straight weeks where Darrell Revis faced like the top wide receivers in the NFL and basically shut all of them down. He was like, dude, I don't think you'll ever see another run like that. Ever. But he talked about Darrell Reeves just being like this ultimate technician where he wasn't elite really at anything, but he was just really good at everything and like anticipation, strength, uh, patience as a defensive back. Not going, he said he never went for the first move. Like, I don't care what you tried, he never went for it. And then Deion Sanders was just dominant physically. He just, he could do what he wanted to do. He could play off coverage, bump and Dude, run. He, he could just he could just let you get about five to ten yards on him, and he just had and that then, recovery speed, which was yeah. just like, all right, yeah. man, just toying with dudes. Yeah. So, Sean, can I say this? The best of the best. So, yeah, I would actually pick someone that isn't Darrell Revis or Deion Sanders, in my opinion. The best corner I've ever seen is Rob Woodson when he was a corner in his younger years. I thought Rob was incredible, man. When he was on the Steelers. And the Raiders, obviously, he became more of a safety in, during his Ravens time at the end. Yeah. But, I mean, he was incredibly physical, could tackle like no other, had really good man coverage skills. He was fast. Like, Rob Woodson was my guy, man. Like, he was just an incredible football player. So, I, as an all-around player, I would say Rob Woodson. As the best cover corner I've ever seen, it's probably Dion, right? Yeah. Just pure cover skills. but. Yeah. Man, I loved Rod Woodson. He was yeah. just something different, man. He really was. But yeah. yeah, that's a good one, though. 
And both of those, all everybody, Darrell Reeves, Deion Sanders, Rob Woodson, like it has nothing to do with error. You can put them yeah. in football right now. They 100%. would still they would dominate right now. Yes. Dion would actually probably excel more than he did back then. <laughs> no, probably would. Pretty funny. You're probably right. Oh, that's funny. Uh my I remember my first Daryl Rivas memory, Sean. He was at the University of Pittsburgh. There was this incredible punt return he had where he like reverse field and went down the sideline. I remember they had a wide receiver named Derek Kinder, was a wide receiver for Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. And he mashed a dude on a blindside block, and Revis went for six. It was just incredible, man. Just absolutely man. incredible. That Those were fun pit days. Pitt's a little boring nowadays, but they're still a good football team. Someone just said uh, Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey's in the conversation for me. He's one of the best corners I've ever seen. He's fantastic, no doubt he's about top, it. He's top five. Yeah. He's top five. He was, I mean, he was another dude that, like, he was kind of like in the Rod Woodson mold, man, where, like, he was just all around was, like, Physical, fast, like yeah. really good football player. Yeah. And now we have the Jalen Ramseys of the world, the Jair Alexander. So quarterback's in a pretty good spot still nowadays. But next question from Vanilla Chill. What's your guys' opinion on Devin Hester not getting into the Hall of Fame again this year? I think it's ridiculous. Do you think he ends up getting in? Uh, you know, Devin Hester for me was never like a first time. First ballot Hall of Famer. Because we've never seen a guy like him get into the Hall of Fame to begin with, right? I mean, you've never seen a pure – there's like three specialists in general, and they're all kickers or punters. You've never seen – like Brian Mitchell has the second most all-purpose yards of all time, and he was one of the best kick returners ever, and he's not in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. It's not that – I don't think it's like a negative against Devin Hester. It's just he's the first of his brand that is probably – he's going to get in the Hall of Fame. I, I give you a – He's going to get in the Hall of Fame. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is, this is my issue. You know. And see, we want people to have these long resumes and all of these accomplishments in order to be considered a Hall of Famer. Yeah. You, you know darn well when you're watching the Hall of Fame. I watched Derrick Rose for the first time and knew without a shadow of a doubt, like, he's going to the NBA and he's going to be special. Yep. I didn't need to see anything else. I was watching him in high school. If Patrick Mahomes leaves the game on Sunday and, and puts the cleats up, are you going to tell me he's not a Hall of Famer? Well, he does. He only has five years. Like, are you, wait a minute. <laughs> so, so did Gail Sayers, and he's in the Hall of Fame. So, Watch. Yeah. The game. 
You're telling me that are you telling me that Sterling Sharp wasn't a Hall of Famer? Did Sean, that's my watch? favorite thing to do about the Hall of Fame, man, is I do a very easy test if I think a guy's a Hall of Famer. You ask me, were they a truly a great player? And if I don't have to hesitate and I say yes, then they're a Hall of Fame player. That's what that's all I need to do, man. That's all it needs to be do for me. I said this today and I'll double down. I don't think Rondé Barber is a Hall of Fame. That's just me. He's a very good player. I would have been completely okay if he waited a while longer or never got in. Like it would it would not have changed my opinion whatsoever. Uh, To your point. Like, because because that's another one, Sean. Like, ask me, is is Rondé Barber a great football player? I would have to hesitate for a second and be like, he was a very good player for a long time. Does that make yes. him great? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Longevity is a part of the conversation, but it's not the only part of the conversation, yes. in my opinion. Like you watch, if you watch Devin Hester play, you he's watch great. him and said, "Oh, Lord, this is this dude is he's he's different. the he's the greatest return man of all of time, all in time. my opinion, no doubt, no doubt. He should be." How- He's going to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, how can he not be in the Hall of Fame? That's, you know, and I think that's, we we try to stats and compare. Man, look, LeBron could have walked away from the NBA 15 years ago. He would have been in the Hall of Fame. Right. Just off his first five years. Like, are we? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Watch. Just watch. So, you know, that's my opinion. You know, it doesn't take long to recognize when people are Hall of Famers. It just doesn't. The stats are for the people to argue in that room. Sean, here's a controversial one. I want your reaction to it. Ready? Since we're having this Hall of Fame talk. I don't think Frank Gore should go in the Hall of Fame. It would be, if he does make it, it would be like a lifetime achievement type, I, I, long, longevity I, type. But I understand what you're saying. He was, he was never like the best. Rondé Barber was never the best defensive back in football. At yeah. any time in his point career. He might not have been top three. And Frank Gore yeah. was He was a very he was a very he was a good to very good player for many years. Yes. But if you ask me though, was Frank Gore ever a great football player? I would I would say no. I don't think he's a great football player. Yeah. I think he's a very good football player. Like and, and but I mean all power to him. He's gonna go in the Hall of Fame because he played for so long and he has put up some Crazy numbers because of longevity. He's going to go yeah. in the Hall of Fame. Like, there's no doubt. Yeah. But for me, would I vote for Frank Gore, especially to be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Absolutely no. not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And so, no disrespect, Frank was a very good football player. But I am, tr- I'm one of those purists that wants the Hall of Fame to be, I want that to be just for great football players, right? Just great football players. And, but then I hate the conversation of people that say, Oh, but they put this guy in, so you got to put that guy. In. No, I don't have to. I don't have to repeat that guy's past mistakes. I don't have to do that. You're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to vote for that guy just because they put in someone that didn't deserve to be in. Yeah. I don't have to do that. Yeah. I don't have to do that. I don't. It's like either a dude is or he's not, and if you can't see it, then you go ahead and use the numbers. I guess what that's what you have to go by. But, and at, at the end of the day, this is up for a vote, right? You need a certain percentage of votes to get voted in, all that type of stuff, right? So if I get out, if I get outvoted, if I was a Hall of Fame voter and they put him in, it's not like I would be like, hey, man, that's stupid and like, yeah. th- you know, go against it. It's like, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. But like, in my personal opinion, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Nah, he's not. He's not. If, if Rondé Barber is a Hall of Famer, then Charles Peanut Tillman is a Hall of Famer. Think so? 
Think so? Look, the dude literally changed the position with the punch. Like he literally created something that every defensive back does now. Yeah. It's it's taught. It's like, and what he did, his numbers, look, man, look, I'm just saying, and I don't consider him a Hall of Famer, right? I don't consider him a Hall of Famer. But I'm, if we're going to start opening the door to guys like that, you telling me Rondé Barber was a better player than Sterling Sharp? No, no. Sterling Sharp should be in the Hall of Fame. Sterling Sharp should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt. Sterling was incredible for the neck, neck injury, man. Incredible player. He's the I, mean, I feel like wide he, receiver. he was the only wide receiver during Jerry Rice's reign that made it a debate on who was the best in the league. Yep. The only one. I'm talking about a Jerry Rice's peak. He's the <laughs> only guy that came into the game and made it a debate who was the yep. best. And, and, I mean, I love this conversation, man, but, like, I see – I hear people on, like, ESPN and, like, other programs all the time that start talking about players. And, Sean, they always bring it up, too. They, like, talk about these guys and they're like, oh, that guy's a future Hall of Famer. I'm like, no, he's not, man. Like, why are we making everybody a future Hall of Famer? Can we just let great players stay Hall of Famers, man? Like, I forget who I was listening to the other day and they're like, oh, that guy's a future Hall of Famer. I'm like, what has he done that he's a future Hall of Famer, man? Like, can we stop – yeah, at least have – I'm not saying you have to have 10 years of accomplishments. Right. But, okay, after four or five years, you should have something to point to to say, okay. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, because everybody can have potential. Yep. Heck, I, I think Trevor Lawrence has Hall of Fame potential. I think Josh Allen has Hall of Fame potential. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yep. I don't know if they're going to end up there, but hey. Yeah. And I mean, but, but back to the original question, like, again, it's, it's this test to me, right? It's a test. You asked me, is Devin, he- was Devin Hester a great player? Yeah. Answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he should be in the hall of fame in my opinion, for sure. The first, the first time he took the field in college, he took one back. The yep. first time he took the field in an NFL, he took one back. Yep. He opened but, up the Super Bowl. What a touchdown. Like the dude yeah. just but, but I, I will <laughs> say this though. Cause um uh, and I'm gonna answer 99 problems here question because it, it's a good talking point. For me, like I understand the Devin Hester thing with the Hall of Fame and why they're not putting him in yet, Sean, though. I will say this to give them cut them some slack. You've never seen a player like that that it deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, no. right? Like they have It's not like they're no. putting in a bunch of return men in, and then it's just like, why have you put Devin Hester in? You put this guy in, right? Like that hasn't happened, right? So, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We had ninety nine problems off of this question, Sean. That just said, isn't lifetime achievement something impressive as well? If a guy like Terrell Davis gets hurt but was unreal when healthy, that's one thing. But sustained success is rare too. Not arguing against that thought. Right, I mean, because uh, not even problems. I, I am. I honestly was in awe a couple of years ago, still watching Frank Gore run the football. I'm like, how the heck has he done that, man? <laughs> That's wild. He has gained ultimate respect for me because I understand how physical of a game football is and how running backs do not usually last that long. But for me personally, that is more just a respect thing, right? Like, I respect that. That's awesome. 
but he's still not a great player in my book. So I'm not putting him in the hall of fame, right? Like it's just, if it, that's just the, the, that's the core for me is that I need to be able to say that you were a great football player. If you're not, I just, I can't put you in the hall of fame. I just can't. That's and just to put, to put that respect. The reason he's so respected. If you go talk to, I know people that were on the depth chart at Miami with him. He had two knee injuries in college. Yeah. Yes. And then he never got hurt, really. He was, <laughs> wild. he was the fastest running back at Miami. Yeah. On the depth chart and had two injuries and came back. He had to change his entire running style. Like this, there's a lot to respect about Frank Gore. Oh, no doubt. You Frank, ask Frank, every I've Frank heard, was unreal. He's an unreal athlete, right? Like he's unreal. Yeah, I've heard Porters. I've heard McGahee, all of them flat out say, when we were there, Frank was the best. All of them said Frank was the best. So, and he ended up having the be- better NFL career with the injuries. So, tip of the cap to him. Yeah. On what he yep. was able to do. Absolutely. Tip of the cap. I wouldn't be mad. Like if I wouldn't be mad. No, I mean, like, I would game, be like, I would I, be like, okay. Yeah. I mean, to your point, Sean, I would be like, that's awesome for Frank Gore. Congratulations. Right. I'm not, I, I'm not like, I'm going to like, I'm not going to send a, send an appeal to NFL and be like, Hey man, how could you put him in the hall of fame? That's right. ridiculous. Like I'd be right. happy for him. It's just yeah. for me personally, I would not be voting for him. That's just, yeah. that's just all. That's all it is. Yeah. So there's been there's been a couple guys I've gotten Hall of Fame where I'm just like I don't know if I would have put him in the Hall of Fame, but like great for them. That's right. awesome. Right. That's awesome. Like Zach Thomas is one that would have been extremely borderline for me, right? But seeing him cry and how much it meant to him, that's awesome, man. I'm so happy for Zach Thomas. That's fantastic. Right. Doesn't right. mean I would vote for him though. <laughs> like it's just yeah. Ugh. All right, let's go. That was a great conversation, though, man. I love those questions. Not any problems. That was a great follow-up, too, man. Really appreciated that. Jason um, Jason Smith said, mailbag, if you could handpick next cornerback, who is it? So the third cornerback in the class, Sean, if you had any pick, who would who would the player oh, be for you? Hey, LaBeef, it's not even close. Oh, that's that's a lob. You just threw me a oop, Jason Smith. <laughs> threw him a oop. Threw, oh, oop. threw me an oop. That's putting that down. <laughs> Jason, you're the man, man. You're the man. You threw him a quick one. I mean, honestly, the, the answer wouldn't be the same for me. I would have a nice little conversation between Aaron Scott and Caleb Beasley, though. Like, I think that you can have a conversation between back and forth, but I do prefer Caleb Beasley slightly. I do. So well, you go ahead and talk to yourself. I'll talk to myself. And I'll wait for you to come back with the same answer. <laughs> my favorite thing is when I talk to myself when I'm actually trying to talk to my wife, but she ignores me, so then I end up talking to myself. So I'm used to it, man. Touche. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> All right, next question. This is a great mailbag, man. Uh, Irish Blood, it says, thoughts on Texas and Oklahoma paying $100 million to leave for the SEC in 2024, Sean? Kudos to the Big 12 for forcing their hand and walking away from the table a month ago. They did force their hands, man. Yeah, they, they, tried to, they tried to force it. Originally, they were supposed to leave in 25. That was the agreement. With everything that's going on with expansion, Texas and Oklahoma are trying to get into the SEC early. SEC a little bit earlier and to get some of that new revenue from the TV deal, they knew what they were trying to do. And the big 12 was like, no, you're not about to play us hundred million. They were trying to get away. I think originally they were trying to pay 60 million. Good for the big 12 for standing up to them. Like if you want to leave that bad, cut the check. 
A hundred million dollars is a lot to get your butt kicked, man. That's all I have to say about it. You want to leave? I mean, you got the Longhorn Network. You can pay it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, though, Sean, it's a great point, though. I mean, Big 12 has to be a little bit – I mean, again, you're losing two big brands, so it's not great for the long term, but, like – you Absolutely. shouldn't, but you shouldn't just like sit to the side and be like, go ahead guys. You can leave. Like, no, right. like if you want to leave early, we need to be compensated for this. Absolutely. Right. Like absolutely. hundred percent. I think we're on the same page there, but again, a hundred million dollars is a big paycheck to pay to get your ass beat a little bit in the, uh, in the sec next year, but we'll see. Salty Virginia peanuts said Notre Dame offered defensive end Cameron Clark, who thanked coach Washington. It seems Washington recruiting activity has stepped up a bit. Is that your impression? I don't think I ever really had. I never really had any pushback on coach Washington from his activity of evaluating players and identifying players. Sean, my quarrels with coach Washington has more been the elite players. Can you stay on them and convince them? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's when you lost Keon Keeley in last year's class. Right. And again, it's not fully on Coach Washington. That was going to be hard to keep him in the class. But we talk about Justin Scott a lot. Right. Why are you not calling him more often? So, I mean, for me, Salty, it's not so much that I had questions of like. Is Al Washington talking to a, a, this amount of kids? Right. It's more about can we prioritize the more important kids a little bit more? That's that's me personally. I do like Cameron Clark though. I thought that was an interesting offer, yeah. and I would I, I look forward to seeing how he develops because he's a kid again. Since January first of this year, Sean, he did not have a single offer to his name. Today, in February, he's up to sixteen offers already. Man, he's going to be a thirty-plus offer guy pretty quickly here. And I think the perception. The perception from Notre Dame fans is going to change pretty quickly on a guy like Cameron Clark. It's amazing how that happens, man. Just like that, all of a sudden, you got a ton of offers coming in. It happens for a lot of kids, especially during this time right now in the dead period. Can I say this? Cole Mullins was a defensive end out of Mill Creek that I just talked to. Mm-hmm. Have a have an update coming on him tomorrow because he's going to be visiting during the uh, during the spring as well. So he straight up said, Sean, he's like, things got really busy after Notre Dame offered. Cause then everyone rolls in, man. Yeah. Everything rolls in to your point, right? That, that has been the trend yes. recently. That has been the trend. It's it's like when Caleb Brewer got his Notre Dame offer, then all of a sudden he had an offer from Michigan the same day. Like, right. all right, Michigan, got it, buddies. <laughs> Get you, man. But that's the respect. That's when they respect that's your respect. coaching staff. That's when other programs respect your coaching staff and their ability to identify talent. Yep. We had another question from Salty Virginia Peanuts who said, any update on Peyton Pierce? Of course, that's the linebacker of Lovejoy, Texas. Brian's confidence is down with Laurinaitis going to Ohio State. Salty, my confidence isn't necessarily down. This is a wait-and-see one for me. It is a little bit because – I. Look, was James Laurinaitis vital for Peyton Pierce and Notre Dame getting into a good good position with him? Yes, it was. But also, I think that the big key was that there was other members of the staff. I mean, he mentioned Marcus Freeman a lot in my, in my interview with him, right? Because he's another linebacker developer. He mentioned Al Golden in that interview as well. Although I would like Al Golden's name be mentioned a little bit sooner in that interview. 
I still think Notre Dame has some resources to be very attractive to Peyton Pierce. So this is a wait and see one for me as well, a little bit. I still think Notre Dame's the leader. Will that change? We'll see, but I'm not as much quick to jump to like panic mode on Peyton yeah. Pierce personally. That's just where yeah. I am. All right. We had another question from Paul Carney. Just want to hit this one real quick, Paul. I would say, because Paul asked, was Colin Klein offered the offensive coordinator position? Of course, the news came out that Colin Klein is no longer in the running for the offensive coordinator position at the University of Notre Dame. I would say, Paul, if you're not signed up at boards.irishbreakdown.com, you should go because we had an update on this very early this morning after that that um, that uh, that report came out. Colin Klein was not offered the job at Notre Dame. He was in the running. He had been interviewed a couple of times. He was talking to the staff, obviously. But both sides determined that it just wasn't the right fit, you know, ultimately for that position. So the two kind of moved on, right? But no, he was not ever offered the job. He did not turn the offer down because the offer never came. But great question. We had Anthony Solomon. Any update if Lewis, uh, Clarence Lewis will be moved to safety, especially since Schuler is out for a while? I mean, honestly, Anthony, we won't hear anything until – right around spring practice starts. I mean, cause that's when it really matters most. Sean, I, I don't think we've ever talked about this though, man. Cause I know Brian's fully on board with it. I know I, I like the idea of it too. Are you in favor of Clarence Lewis, Lewis potentially moving to safety? If that is a decision that they make. Um, as long as he is the one that kind of comes to the staff and say, look, this is something I want to do. I don't, in this last year, I don't want to him to do anything grudgingly. Like, no, no. And I'm pretty comfortable with Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson. I'm comfortable because I think Xavier Watts can play. Yeah, it's it's not like if you moved him back there, it would give you the ability to to put Ramon Henderson possibly in a rover situation in certain certain spots. Big nickel, get him closer to the line of scrimmage. That's his strength and then put Clarence Lewis in coverage. So you can have Clarence Lewis play safety without moving the safety schematically, right? Yeah. You get into certain situations. You have Thomas Harper. You put him in a slot, move Ramon Henderson down, and then have Clarence play. You know, Tariq put, Bracey against North Carolina played safety in a couple of situations. He gave up a touchdown in one situation. But sure. – you know, he played in a certain uh, formations or certain call. So could they use him in that position in a certain way without him actually moving to safety? Possibly. But, I don't. you know, if he wants to play defensive back, then let him. As long as he knows, like, hey, if these guys are better, they're going to play. Like, what I don't want is I don't want him to get into the season and all of a sudden Christian Gray is getting a lot of snaps. And it's like, you know, like, you want to play safety now? I'm like, no, I don't want that. You know, either he's going to be a defensive back or he's going to recognize it might be better for me on the next level to go ahead and explore being able to be a hybrid and possibly do both things. Yeah. I should have pulled this one up earlier, Sean, but I, did, I missed it. Not any problem said if Caleb Beasley is more college ready than Aaron Scott, that was something that I said. Which of the two has the higher ceiling and better tools, speed, change of direction, length, etc.? 
So I, I guess, Sean, for me personally, and I'd love to hear your insight on this too, I think that Caleb Beasley is more ready to play just mostly because I think physically he's more mature, right? Like he's 180-something pounds. Yeah. He'll be like 190 by the time he gets to whatever school he ends up picking. Aaron Scott's 165 pounds, right? Like he needs to get more physically kind of built out. I think he needs to, you know, just some technical work like every high schooler needs to do. But I would say personally, I don't know if you agree with this. I think Aaron Scott might actually have a little bit of a higher ceiling, slightly higher. But I think that Caleb Beasley's floor is like substantially higher right now, in my opinion. That's, I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't push back on that. Okay. I wouldn't push back on that. Well, and that, so let's go one by one here, Sean. Aaron Scott versus Caleb Beasley. Who wins the speed conversation for you? For me, it's Aaron Scott. Yeah. Aaron Scott. Change of direction? I think it's kind of even. I don't it's know. It's even. Yeah. Lift. I would give strength to Caleb Beasley. Yes. Length and you strength, know. I would give to Caleb Beasley. Yeah. So I, I think and, that I, I think for me, like Caleb's a little more of a twitchy short area guy, and yeah. Scott's more of a glider, though. Like he's fast, yeah. man. Like he can turn him run. Yeah. So Caleb, I, I, Caleb Beasley to me is he's just going to make plays. Yeah. I think it's easy to see that he's going to make plays on the next level. You know, Aaron Scott is just extremely athletic, big upside, you know. And Caleb's just day one, walks on the field. Caleb. Good good football player, yeah. Caleb walks on the field with other great players, and you readily recognize that he is a dude. (laughs) that's a good way to put it that's you know and that's i don't know if you call that it factor or whatever it's like he's able to raise his level in the biggest moments so i think that will come through in his play yeah but i ultimately don't think there's a really a wrong answer to the upside conversation both those guys are very talented yeah that from Ben Plesner who said, Ryan, thoughts on Tyrion Nichols from Ohio as well. Not necessarily in the same league as Scott, Mitchell, and Beasley, but curious your thoughts. Brandon, for me, like, I liked Nichols. I think that he has some good short area stuff. I think he's a pretty good all-around athlete. I just don't think he has incredible size and strength profile, and I just don't think he's like this elite athlete, right? Like, I just mm-hmm. think he's, he's a good player, man. He's a good yeah. player who's going to end up at a good school. I just – I don't think he's quite Notre Dame to me personally. I just don't like, I think of him as what was, what was the safety last year that Notre Dame looked at for a little bit? Jair Hill, right? Sean was the Illinois kid. Oh, hey, was the safety? I'll be honest. Me personally. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a big mistake. Yo, <laughs> yo, that kid. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a player at Michigan. He ended up in Michigan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll leave it at that. He's gonna be a player at Michigan. Yeah. All right, well, oh, he's gonna Sean, be a player Sean, at Michigan. Sean's going all, to bat for him, man. That's, Sean's going that's to all bat. I'm, that's all I'm saying. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. All right, maybe it wasn't the best example on my part. Then, so Sean no, no, no. I don't think he. And I'm not sitting up here saying he's better than Adon Shula or anything like that. You know. Like that dude has like Aaron Scott speed. Oh, really? Think he's that fast? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I got a chance to check out the track meet his senior year. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm like, okay. Okay. Because I remember talking to him, and he was like, yeah, I just don't talk. But, man, I really don't talk to Notre Dame as much anymore. Yeah. Was like they just kind of faded on him. And yeah. Michigan kind of came in and at the last minute and really jumped on him. Yeah. To that point, it was pretty much like, oh, he's going to Illinois. That's what I he's thought. Going, yeah, That's he's what going I to Illinois. And Michigan came in at the last minute. But, yeah, he he surged, like, late in the season and then into his track season. Nice. Well, hopefully he ends up being a good player. Maybe I'm underrating him a little bit. We had a question here, Sean. We only have a few questions left. Nathan Milton, former Lee of Milton fan, said, between Chicago, Arizona, Texas, Missouri, Maryland, which does Notre Dame need to do better in and which would benefit Notre Dame the most? Sean, I think we should make a hierarchy list here, right? So let's go what's most important to the least important in that <coughs> list, if we can. For uh, me, for me, if I'm starting at the top, we agree Texas, is, top. Number, Texas Tex- is number one, right? Texas is number one for me as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree think, with you about I Maryland. Think, I think Maryland's number two. Yeah, yeah I agree I with do. you about Maryland. It's an untapped, it's untapped talent pool, and Notre Dame needs to do better in it, in my and opinion. St. Louis is St. Louis would be right there. For me, yeah, St. Louis I, I think and Chicago all... would be on the same. For me, St. Louis, Chicago, it's very similar to me. I yeah, I th- I think that's a good one because I I mean I I think they need to get into Arizona more, but it's just like those other ones are a little more paramount, right? Like yeah. I would even put it like this, Sean, like Missouri, sure, but St. Louis, right? Like St. Louis and Chicago, like those two, like you need to lock those down, especially Chicago, right. like. Right. I mean, I was talking to Tom Lemming like a few weeks ago, man, and like we were just kind of talking about it. Notre Dame should never lose a player from Chicago that they Ever. like. Ever. Ever. Should never Ever. lose a Chicago kid. Thank Ever. you, Tom. Thank you, Tom Lemming. Thank Ever. you. Thank you. And it, like, if you don't like a kid, that's fine. But like Justin Scott, like we'll just always use Justin Scott as an example. Should get Justin Scott 10 out of 10 times if that's the guy you want. 100% Thank you. of the time. Yeah. Thank you. You can go down the list. Justin Scott, Nate Marshall, Darian Dupree, Lightfoot, like whoever. Like if you want them, it shouldn't even be close. Yeah. It shouldn't be close. We had a question from Salty Virginia Peanuts said, how much interest does Notre Dame have in Bryce West? Uh, they had interest a lot in Bryce West, Salty. It's just it, they're just not going to get Bryce West. I mean, that's just kind of where it comes down to. Bryce West just isn't interested enough in Notre Dame to get him out of Buckeye country. Like, that's just kind of where it is. So they, they, they did their best, man. They tried to pitch it. You know, they they tried to get in with him, but I just don't think that it was received well enough by Bryce. So it's kind of where yeah. it is. Yeah, someone in the chat said Justin Scott is Illinois, right? No, Justin Scott is Chicago. <laughs> it's Chicago, and then it's the rest of the state of Illinois. Like Chicago's his own state, the Chicago land area. Just let it. It's Chicago and the surrounding areas, and then it's the state of Illinois. Man, you're like a you're like a Jersey guy because like I'm like there's South Jersey and there's North Jersey. There's no Central uh, Jersey. It is. Thank you. Yeah, that's all it is. Yep, that's all it is. So Justin Scott, so, it's is, so different. You know, it's just Justin so Scott different. Is Chicago. He's Chicago. <laughs> Illinois can't claim him. Just Chicago. Yes, okay. and then like. East St. Louis is in Illinois, but East St. Louis is basically St. Louis. Sure. 
Sure. That's the St. Louis talent area. That so, that always that always confused me, by the way, that it's called a St. Louis. It always confused me. But yeah. yeah. It's like you're right, East St. Louis, but then you have to write Illinois at the end. It's just like that's yeah. weird. That's weird. No, it's literally across the bridge. Like this is the easiest question of the day. Tyler Binge said Taylor Ham or Pork Roll. It's Pork Roll. It's not Taylor Ham. Taylor Ham's not a thing. That's a that's a North Jersey folks, man. Go ask some New Yorkers about Taylor Ham. You'll get that response. But pork roll is what it is in Jersey. And the real part of Jersey, not mm-hmm. not not New York Jersey. All right, next question. 99 Problems with BK1 says, Bronte Johnson, you said as long as both sides are comfortable, do you know if that's the case or still being figured out? Seems like they need to at least know comfort level by now. Yeah, 99 Problems. They, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think both sides are very comfortable where they are at the moment. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, just have to hold the end of the bargain and do all that type of stuff. But I think that, yes, I think the fit makes total sense as of now for that marriage, if that did happen. All right, we have we have a next question from Robert Bishop who said, off topic, but did you guys see that OU and Texas will leave the, for the SEC at the end of this upcoming season? I predict that both teams will struggle for a while. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit, Sean, but do you, do you think that both teams are going to be in trouble, I guess, initially with that move to the SEC? Uh, I will say this. Uh, I will say this. They both have the quarterback situation recruited well going into the conference. Sure. Um, I'll take, but slightly, not even, not even slightly. I'll take that back. Cause Jackson Arnold, I hear a lot of different things. A lot of people say, Oh my God, Jackson Arnold was absolutely incredible. And then I hear people say, oh, you might be a little bit overrated. He's a bit overrated. He's a good player though, but he's, he's a you little know, overrated. He's a and little then bad. see, some people might feel Arch Manning is overrated. But I can he's a little overrated as well. Oh, that's okay, but I guarantee you one thing about Arch Manning. Yeah. He, he's going to know how to play the position. You would think. I, I, I would I'd be willing to bet that the position of quarterback, he knows how to play it. He knows what he's looking at. He's going to know what he's looking at. I feel a little bit more comfortable with Arch than I do with Jackson Arnold, and you throw in, you know, Mr. Mullet. Well, he cut his mullet off, so I can't call him <laughs> Mr. Mullet anymore. I mean, that quarterback yeah. situation in Texas is is in a little bit better shape going into the SEC, in my opinion. Yeah, and Texas has recruited well the last two, three years, and they have the Texas offensive has a lot line, of talent. Offensive line will be better because they threw a lot of youngsters into the fire. They got a lot of reps, so the old line should be better. Um, they 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 lost a weapon though. They Bijan is going to be life after Bijan Robinson. We're going to see what that's like. And they lost Roshan Johnson too, which is a yes. good football player. So yeah. yeah, they lost a couple good backs this offseason. Bijan is the best running back to come out since at least Saquon. Maybe maybe before man, he might be better than Saquon. Honestly, he's very good. He's a very good player. Last Ryan, question of the day, Sean. Sorry, guys. I, I know you're the NFL draft guy. Yes. Man, I want to put Bijan Robinson next to Justin Fields so bad. <laughs> oh, what about David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, man? Well, do no, with those Montgomery's guys. a free agency. He's a free oh, agent. Is he? Okay. Yeah, Montgomery's a free agent. Khalil I like Khalil Herbert was one of my guys coming out, man. I thought he was a great value pick at that time. He's injury value. prone, though. Yeah, a little bit. Like the first two years, he's gotten injured. Man, look, and I know 
they need help on the other side of the ball, but selfishly. I was going like, to say, can, can Bijan play linebacker? Can he play man, probably good. He probably I'm thinking could. like trade back and then trade back again and pick up another first round pick and then get you two defenders and get Bijan somewhere up in there. <laughs> like, it's not, yo. It's not, it's not the worst guy. It's not the worst idea. <laughs> he, man, he's going to be a difference maker early on, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, he's He's fantastic, man. He is fantastic. Again, might be the best running back. He might be better than Saquon coming out of Penn State. He might be. It's it's Could a conversation. Be. Could be. Last question today, Sean. Nine problems with BK1 just said, how much of a shot does Notre Dame have with Ricardo Jones, the safety of Georgia as of today? I know you can't really know until he visits, but just curious. 99 problems. I think they have a shot because if you ask me right this second, who is Ricardo's lead schools? The answer is there are no lead schools, right? Like, again, he is – when I tell you he's put recruiting on the back burner until basketball season's over, he has put it on the back burner. Like, he has barely talked to anybody. He hasn't set up visits. He hasn't finalized anything. That's where Ricardo Jones is at right now. So I think Notre Dame has a shot. It's just about, like, when things do open up for Ricardo Jones – you need to get him on campus quick, and you need to get in with him quick. So, honestly, I think they have a good shot as just about anybody, but it, it's about to be go time here very quickly, man. It's about to be like yeah. put up or shut up time yeah. if you really want Ricardo Jones. So, that's kind of where we are, man. It's just there's about to be a mad rush for him once basketball season's over, and we shall see if Notre Dame's able to make an impact in that one. All right. So, that is going to do it for the mailbag here, Sean. So, I want to thank you all real quick before you go, before you log out or X out or whatever you're doing on the YouTube page. Please hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, hit that notification bell, five-star reviews if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform are always very much appreciated. We thank you all so much for that in advance. You could also go to boardsidersbreakdown.com if you want some latest intel on everything that ha- that we are t- um, that we're diving into as far as the recruiting side of things, the offensive coordinator search. We'll have a bunch of intel moving forward here, but want to thank you all so much again for joining us today. From I am Ryan from Sean. Thank you all so much for joining Notre Dame Recruiting Hour, a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.